Hi, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson here with Kirk, Your Enthusiasm, Episode 3. Today, I am joined by my old friend, Seth Partnow, who is now with The Athletic, and he has come a long way in a weird and winding path. I believe, Seth, you were a attorney for a while, and then you started writing for fun? And you, I first started reading you at Nylon Calculus, where I didn't understand what I was reading, but that was the whole point. And then you transitioned into, uh, eventually you, you ended up with, with the Milwaukee Bucks for a few years, and now you are back in the media game. Um, I will direct all of you to a podcast with Sam Vecini called The Game Theory uh, Podcast, where Seth talks at length about kind of why he transitioned back from, uh, you know, a, a NBA job to the media. But uh, we're here to talk a little Mavericks, and he's probably here to give me a little grief. Um, Seth, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, you weren't kidding about the uh, the intro voice. That's 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 uh, saucy. Oh yeah, she's, this she's, is very. She's great. I gotta this find is very. Out. This is this is my first after dark podcast. I think. It's, and you know, at the time of night we're recording, it's ten o'clock on a Thursday. Uh, we each have had a day full of being real life adults, and Seth was kind enough to join me after kind of a hectic day. It sounds like you've been moving, and moving is, as we all know, uh, or if you don't know, moving is the worst real life adult experience that doesn't have to do with death and like disease because it just it's it sucks the life out of you. So I very much appreciate you taking the time to uh talk a little maverick uh, shenanigans with me sure although i actually have a cold because you know two kids equals little sure. petri dishes so so it does involve uh illness in this case but yeah oh. so we just have it all going on but no no problem it's uh it's good to finally uh good to finally talk to you on one of these well and and so folks before we get going here seth is i i have friends with a lot of smart people and Seth is is probably the smartest, and he knows it. Um, but why he decided to be friends with me, I don't entirely understand. It probably is why most of basketball Twitter is somewhat amused by me that I have different politics and aren't aren't a total weirdo. Um, but let's uh, let's jump right into it. So I, I'd really like to kind of hear your thoughts, you know, on the Mavericks heading into the season, and really what you think about, you know, our main duo and Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Well, I, you know, I was last heading into last year. I was driving the bus for Luca, and he's done nothing at all to, to, uh, to, to convince anyone to get off. Um, uh, and now with the, you know, the, 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 um, it's uh, I, if you're familiar with Evans Amir on Twitter, you, he, uh, he's he kind of goes goes a bit crazy in draft time, and one of his favorite things is is fat guy upside, and <laughs> and. and uh, and you know, not that Luca was fat, but he certainly he, he there was some some work to be done, like on the, on the physical side. And I don't even like people have talked about his work ethic thing or whatever. I think it's more just that the schedule he's played since he was you know some number teen years old uh, has hasn't left time for like a dedicated off season program. And this this year, um, at least if one is to believe the curated Instagram snaps that have that have come out, uh, it, it has done him some good. Yeah, he um, kind of looks like so, Rob Gronkowski in those in those photos where he's he's like chiseled but still kind of beefy. It's it, it really <laughs> makes me laugh. I, I haven't had this is my first experience with a Maverick player doing summer workout photos because like Dirk was so old, we don't even know if he you know knows how to use a camera. So this is it, it's been a little bit odd for me. Yeah, um, and so the, obviously Luca is is. Uh, 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 Porzingis is, you know, uh, 
Win Wright, a fabulous player. Um, there's not really a lot of track record to go on of seven three guys coming back from ACL injuries and what that looks like, especially seven three perimeter players. So that's kind of an unknown. Um, it's it, I think for like not to relitigate that deal or anything. I think with with what was on the table, I think you do that a hundred times out of a hundred. But uh, um, uh, still, you just it's it's at this point an unknown as as far as you know, what he's going to look like when he returns to the court. Okay. That actually, you know, I, I sent you some stuff that I wanted to talk about, but that actually jumps ahead to something that I, I would rather probably just hit on right now. It seems to me that the Mavericks have really gone all in on a number of guys who have a smaller data set for, for at least this next year. You got Porzingis who I understand why everybody's really into him, but he also doesn't, have a large track record of games you know matt moore and i were talking a couple weeks ago and porzingis basically falls off every mid-december in january or he's been hurt uh that's that's the extent of the track record then there's you know delon wright who's not played a lot of minutes then you have like the back end of the mavericks bench like maxi kleba and some of these guys that that just they have smaller minute sample sizes and it seems like the mavericks are really kind of going all in and expo- expecting to get a lot of production from guys who don't have great track records. Is that like, well, you kind of, I- you've, you've actually, you've, and you've, you've admitted kind of the, 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 uh, the biggest, no pun intended, uh, low minute superstar that, that the Mavericks acquired this off season. Um, you know, everyone's favorite uh, John Wick villain. <laughs> right and like he might play 10 minutes two out of every three games like i don't so, and and he's actually he is he is almost the he's supplanted some of the uh um you know it was at one point the matt bonner rule i think if they'd have been if he'd have been uh if he stuck around more it would have been the hamad hadadi uh, rule of, of kind of this these very specific big men who uh whose failings are so obvious that they don't get exposed because the coach doesn't play them in that situation. So when they actually do play, they put up some, you know, by a lot of the, the lineup base plus minus type stuff, especially anything involving kind of the, the regression based stuff. These guys all of a sudden seem like they're amazing. And what's, what's sort of happened is, yeah, you play them in advantageous situations. They can be very effective, um, but their limitations are such that those situations are few and far between, uh, but they get protected by the fact that, you know, it's pretty obvious, like, you know, Boban chasing someone and anyone with like some face up skill and then Boban chasing it, it doesn't look pretty. And that lasts about two possessions. And so his possessions are sort of heavily weighted to, to the guys who he can kind of just bully and be huge and, and dunk without leaving the floor over, um, which is, you know, that's that's sort of the the extreme version of a, a lot of what we're talking about here with with the Mavs having a lot of guys who have been, you know, effective in limited low minute roles well of these guys you know let's just let's just talk about maybe delon wright a little bit of justin jackson maxi kleba like from your you know outsider perspective do you have you know faith that any of these guys is going to be able to make uh at least a like i don't want to call it a leap but do you think they're going to be able to be effective given larger minutes um, I've always, I've always uh, had had a lot of uh, a lot of affection for for Kleba and, and Delon Wright, especially. Wright's a, re- a weird one, just because he came into the league as as an old rookie, and mm-hmm. so he's now like on his second contract, and is like 
you know, on the down slope from an age right, like 27. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's at or past peak age already. And we still don't totally know what he is. Um, he was very effective in some of those uh, uh, kind of those all bet those bench plus Lowry lineups for Toronto two years ago. Um, and he, he, um, he does a lot of really interesting things. Uh, the shot is of course a big question mark for him. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of a, um, that's the kind of thing that that you know, having a guy like Porzingis maybe uh, allows you to play uh, uh, one or more non maybe not non shooters but less threatening shooters at the perimeter positions because you're getting that at the at at one of the big positions. So um, that's certainly the kind of thing that that you know a face up big like Porzingis allows. But um, yeah, you have you have hope for him. You have hope for for Kleba. Uh, who's who's been effective in 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 limited minutes though Kleba's and this being a Mavs podcast I'll tread lightly here but I think he's oh it's okay they need people need to hear hear things he's uh probably benefited from some of the uh from another kind of quirk of the plus minus metrics in that he's sort of uh subbed on and off for, for late model Dirk who um you know is the like this is not intended as a shot at Dirk at all, but you know the last couple of years, maybe not the most effective NBA player. Is that tiptoeing lightly enough? Oh no, I mean I th- I think we'd all agree Dirk was tremendously bad last year, and it was it was very interesting to read you know that like a JJ Barea, uh, Dwight Powell, and you know Maxi Kleba had like a great like three man plus minus uh, you know together, but that didn't really say much to me because the team was bad. So yeah, they'd come on and do interesting things, but like uh, what what really are we getting out of that? So I've, that's kind of what I'm wondering in terms of heading into this year because there's some of these, you know, some of these statistical models, particularly like one like 538 really seems to like the players and that the Mavericks have and then, you know, that that leads into liking the team and I don't entirely understand why um, that that might be mainly because I'm a little bit of an analytics idiot. I choose to be uh, uh, naive on it just because it's a bit of a, a black hole for me, which is why I wanted to talk to somebody like you. Sure. So I'm um, I can't I can't claim to have done chapter and verse on some of like 538 specific predictions about the Mavs. I will say that in general, I have some disagreements with with some of the some of the assumptions that the 538 models use, I think they, they can be a little recency weighted. Um, at the same time, I don't think that, that a lot of their seasonal projections are adequately accounting for kind of injury risk. I think their aging model is weird, um, especially for kind of outlier players. Like, like uh, I mean, like, a lot of guys on, on, on the Mavs actually, just in terms of, Okay, who's the closest guy to Kristaps, and how did he age? And so we're going to impute that aging curve to him, and that it's kind of it. It, it yeah. So um, I, I, you know, in general, like most win prediction models have everyone in kind of the same narrow range. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is just is just like what flavor of ice cream the the developer of the particular model has chosen, and you know, I'm my my tastes do not run towards the same way as as 538s do, but that doesn't you know that doesn't mean the Mavs are better or worse. It just means that like it some of these players you know check some of the boxes uh, that that methodology happens to like. 
that actually makes some sense to me just because it's it's that's kind of what I thought because when you look at it what's really going on at the west and even if you look at you know like like Kevin Pelton's model was was showing you know some some interesting things you look at what's happening in like that back end grouping of the west and it seems like everybody from like team three to team 13 is separated by like five to six games so I I that's where I get a little lost and kind of just throw my hands up because I I'm a bit of a, well, I'm not a bit, I, I'm no, absolutely like a Mavs pessimist, I would say, despite really liking their players. So like, where, where would you kind of, of put them? Like, what do you think about the team, at least from, from both like a basketball perspective and what you see, uh, what you see on paper with, with the data? Um, I think it's, I think it's, if you're talking about, the Mavs as a playoff team's my intuition is it's probably a year early. I think um, that there's still some they, they probably still have some some roster shakeouts to 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 figure out a little bit. Um, you know, uh, expecting this is something that 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 happens kind of frequently every year. A guy has a, a young, especially now that players are coming to the league so young, a guy has a precocious you know teenage season and like oh well he'll he'll naturally. Pre- progress and more often than not it's there's maybe a little bit of of i don't want to say stagnation but uh maybe uh, uh leveling off as you know like a guy who um to go with a non non-mavs example like jason tatum two years ago mm-hmm. was was not as well as not as good as he played two years ago for the celtics and he's probably better than he played last year for the celtics but if you'd have built based projections off of his first year like he kind of actually given his age and the fact that he was as productive as he was for a good team. He kind of, he, he, he kind of broke some models to be honest. And, you know, but you understand that he's, he's more likely to level off than to have the, the standard kind of teenage aging curve. And, and so that, you know, that's a long winded way of saying that, you know, um, if you get the same season this year, you you got last year from Luca, like you should be okay with that. Like, um, because he probably, you know, he's going to show up on scouting reports more this year. Um, and, and so if he, if he maintains like that, the same level of production, given that, um, he's probably doing okay. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, Porzingis hasn't played in forever and, and who, like figuring out how they're going to, how they're going to use him. Um, my intuition is his best position is the five, Unfortunately, I think that as a five, that probably limits his the minute load you can get out of him. And I think mm-hmm. that that's probably something that they should be looking to do anyway, kind of based a little bit on what you were talking about, about his sort of hot start tail off situation. Um, I think some of that was probably related to the fact that he's had, just had to do so much uh, for, for a, a fairly or really kind of poor teams that he's playing on. Mm-hmm. So... I'm- I mean, with Luca, what I've I, I said I've set my expectations on being more efficient. I mean, he ground out after the All Star break and after they made the trade. I think the trade was late January, early February. Luca was incredibly inefficient comparably. He just put up a lot of like raw numbers because he was the best guy on the team. I'm really hoping for some increases in efficiency, maybe a little bit better free throw percentage, and it, it, I, I do think like that sort of gain is is possible. I think. You know, the I've heard some folks say that the really true path for the Mavs to make the playoffs is if Luca takes some sort of like absurd superstar leap where he's posting like 25, 8 and 7, which that just seems like a lot. 
and and yet he still managed to do so well for his his rookie year. So I'm I'm just I'm I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about him. For for Porzingis, I I just don't know what to expect. I mean, I've kind of I, I in my head I'm hoping for 65 games where he maybe plays 30 minutes a game, and I think that would be outstanding. I just don't know how you know what I'm going to be really interested to see as as you know the the games rack up is how how Rick Carlisle really disperses minutes and lineups because you know they're so top heavy with Luca and KP and then a bunch of other guys who really are probably better suited in either you know like a bench rotation or as being like the fifth best guy on the floor and people are just going to have to uh going to have to accept different roles so that'll you know, I, I'm not even sure how much Luca and Porzingis will spend on the floor at the same time together. Because if the Mavericks want to have a chance at winning some games, they're going to have to like, you know, basically spread out their minutes a little bit. I mean, the staggering thing is always an interesting question. I think that that's something that uh, certainly NBA social media gets hung up on a lot. I think it's, I think it's probably more of an empirical test than a than a well, you must have one of these guys on. Like, you know, it it might be that playing them together is so effective that you have to kind of live with the, you know, the 12 minutes of the game you're playing with neither because okay. you're, you're doing so. And, and, you know, we just don't know yet. Um, and that's, uh, and also there's, there, um, this is, this is sort of uh, something that was sort of talked about at the time with, uh, uh, with Durant West Westbrook a little bit and having kind of uh, lived on the other side of this a little bit, like it's, you know, you can't just discount the, the fact, well, if they say, Hey, we want to play together. I mean, that's, you know, that 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 has to carry some weight um and that's just the you know it's, it's in just the dynamic of of, of, a, of a team that carries some weight so that uh, you know so i don't i don't know how much we would assume about about you know staggering or anything like that and whether they should and um so yeah it's, i mean it's a good question though i mean they are at this and that's part of why i say it may be as a, a year early for them because they have you know they have a couple of nice other pieces on the roster i think seth curry is um uh, is is a is a pretty underrated player actually. Um, he's very very dynamic, uh, all around offensive scorer. Um, but yeah, he's he's exactly who we were talking about. That's like his best role is probably you know a six man fifth starter kind of thing. And um, you know, and and another guy whose health hasn't always been pristine. So so relying on him for big minutes, eighty two games is probably asking a lot. And I think that's and honestly, I think that that's like I think we hinted at this, but a lot of your kind of um, reticence about accepting some of the more optimistic uh, projections is based on the fact that you know that there's a lot of guys who, yeah, he's pretty good, but he's only given us sixty games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, we'll be right back after this quick break. All right, guys, we're back. I'm joined by Seth Partnow of the Athletic. All right, Seth. So I got one kind of really broad based question that I want to ask you. So I think, and and if my memory serves me correct, one of the things that really led to the Mavericks just dominating in the 2011 playoffs was when they finally stopped taking a lot of open long twos, backed it up a foot or two and started shooting a lot more threes. I mean, that was really kind of one of the things that that led them to be such an offensive uh, powerhouse in that in that playoffs, and you know they were a little bit of the they were slightly ahead of the 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 analytic curve and embracing you know uh, threes and kind of getting some of the the rough shots out of the game. 
But in the years since, they simply haven't been very good, and they've had to put together these patchwork lineups. So I don't really know, you know, where the Mavericks are in terms of of accepting, embracing, you know, leaning into the analytics movement. They shot a ton of threes last year, but they were also, if I if memory serves, the fourth worst in terms of percentage. So from you, your outsider's view, like what what do you know about you know their how they uh, deal with with analytics, and 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 what do you think about you know their their kind of uh, moves as as the uh, as they you know try to build a, a, at least a playoff contender around Luca and Porzingis. So um, I think there's a it's a broad question and and the the, um, the landscape of the NBA the difference between the teams that are doing the most and the least in analytics is uh, it's 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 a pretty big gap. Um, I would say and I, I you know again I don't have perfect knowledge of of what everyone's doing internally. I would say the Mavs in terms of what they're doing are probably above median, but not at the very top end in terms of, of level of investment. I know they have some, some very strong uh, analytically minded voices in the room. Um, uh, but, and so that, um, they, I mean, they, they have people who, uh, they are one of the teams that has, has kind of dedicated analytics folks, traveling with the team and involved in like, you know, coaching prep and stuff like that on a direct day-to-day basis. Um, that's something that I want to say around 10 teams had last year. It's probably going to be closer to 15 this year, uh, maybe even higher as that, as that kind of becomes more of a thing, whether it's, you know, a couple teams have, have, have people who are, you know, in another area would be strictly analytics professionals actually on the bench uh, in, in Toronto and now Washington uh, having hired Dean Oliver. So the Mavs aren't there yet. But they have had uh, they've had they have had 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 folks you know traveling with the team and available all, all, all the times for for the last uh, couple of years. And then as far as you know how how that stuff is used, that's that's always that's always very difficult to to see from from the outside, just because it's um, the you know the input of of people the the analytics staff is just one source of input. I mean, we talked about you know a, a little you know the you know, again, the getting back to the Westbrook Durant thing, the reporting at the time was they wanted to play together. So even if the you know the the uh, the, the the lineup data indicated that maybe they they could have been you know marginally better if they split their minutes up some or, or something like that, you know how much of a gain it, it would it be worth and it, splitting them up and you know in in retrospect it maybe didn't matter if they'd have <laughs> made made one or more of them mad because, you know, Durant left anyway. But um, still, those are, the, those are kind of that sort of trade-off is something you have to weigh. And that's not really a strictly analytical um, evaluation as to, to which way you go in that argument because there's, you know, any number of things that, uh, that, that can go into those decisions. So, um How's that for a non-answer to your question? No, I I actually like that answer because like I'm a I'm an armchair quarterback. I don't go to games. I don't uh I don't talk to players. You know, I I, I do this primarily as a hobby hobby, so I don't yell at my TV. Um, but it, it's so easy. You know, while I'm here, I have access to a lot of publicly available data, and I see things, and you know, we see things as fans that you know sometimes just don't make sense to us like last season i think the mavericks up until they made a trade uh the big trade they played a starting lineup with luca west matthews harrison barnes deandre jordan 
and uh, one more. What's wrong? Oh, Dennis Smith. And of the five-man starting units that had, you know, significant minutes, they were far and away the worst five-man uh, like like uh, uh, lineup in the league in terms of plus-minus. And you know, as I'm sitting out here, you know, screaming uh, into my computer, typing all the time, "Why is this happening? Why is this happening?" This is what the information is showing. There's clearly other things at play. You know, you have salaries, you have personalities, you have what players want, you have, you know, what, you know, the coaches and ownership and front office wants. Because clearly, you know, the, the in retrospect, it was kind of, it should have been obvious that the Mavericks were, they knew Luca was the guy much earlier than, than we gave them credit for. Uh, it felt like, the you know, they, they probably, the reason they were in early on Porzingis was because they were probably working on that for a while. So these, like, the how the interplay between the, the math, the personalities, and really, like, the reality between uh, salary and all that stuff is something that I... I need to be a lot better at, at understanding. So that that's it's a little bit of a non-answer. I understand why, but that that does make sense because it's not it's not like a clear-cut uh, uh, thing in many respects. I mean, we do know that the Mavericks are very interested in this sort of thing. You know, Mark Cuban, you know, retweeted one of your articles last week. Um, you know, they they cle- they clearly care about this sort of thing. So there's there's you know a, a lot to go off there. I I have. I'm going to be very interested to see, you know, what happens this year and, and, you know, what, what happens with the information that we have available and what the Mavericks decide to to do, because I tend to agree with you that they're about a year away. And our, our mutual friend, Adam Mares told me last week that the worst thing he thinks a growing team can do is, is try to try to skip steps and that sort of thing can really set you. He, he thinks that, that that's why Denver is succeeding now is that, you know, they had an opportunity to get a little bit better repeatedly over the last three years, but they didn't. And instead they grew organically. And as a result, now they're like, you know, I think they're a top three, top four team in the West. So whew, that was a soliloquy for me. Sorry about that. Oh, <laughs> um, no, I think, well, I think that that's a little that's a little cut and dried in terms of quote skipping steps. I think the the impulse is right that you know the you know you uh, you know if you use a poker analogy, you play the hand that's there. You don't you you, you know you you uh, boy, it would be great if we had blah blah blah. But that doesn't mean okay. Well, the other guys, the other guy like he has it. So why am I going all in kind of thing? Uh, like I'm not going to bluff him off the nuts. Basically, mm-hmm. is uh, um, and. So I think that's that many teams have kind of gotten themselves in trouble and usually what happens and and this isn't something that that like fortunately or unfortunately uh depending on your perspective on this that that usually what what ends up happening is a team like kind of their record uh overstates their performance from a year and so a team thinks that they're further along than they are. Oh, we won 40 whatever games. And it's actually, well, we were actually like a, a 42 one team who like won all of our close games uh, kind of on accident. And so we were, we won 49 games, but we weren't actually that good, but let's go for it. And it's like, well, okay, you're, you're already going to regress back towards 42 because you're, you know, you're, you, you weren't that that's how good you really were last year and then you you've mortgaged all these future assets to become a 45 win team I mean, <laughs> right which, yeah so that's and and so again it's like you know the, the the Mavs were not that team last year who kind of had ran really well and kind of outperformed their 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 fundamentals and their talent level but but and so you know it, is that a good or a bad thing 
I have to be held a little bit, but it doesn't, the, the, the point is it does not put them in a situation where they're tempted to like now, now, now. Um, even though I think that that's, that's a much more of a prevailing ethic in the league right now than, than it has been in a while. Um, the team's kind of thinking like now is the time. Uh, I think that, that there's also some realism that, you know, they, maybe they're in the may, maybe things go right. They're kind of in the race for six, seven, eight in the West, but they're not, uh, you know, you, there's not really any, any scenario you can think of where like the, a playoff appearance would be more than a, than a, than a, than a courtesy this year, I would think given that, you know, there, there's teams at the top of the West who are just substantially better than them. That that's the more I think about it, the more I think that that the Mavericks may internally have a more realistic view than what they're putting on the forward facing side, because the you know, if if you take the long view of what they did this this last year, they traded away Harrison Barnes for Justin Jackson. Then they essentially let a lot of that cap space, you know, be used by players who they had bird rights for. So they they ended and they 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 left cap space on the table, which a lot of us were really confused and sometimes frustrated uh, by. I may have had a podcast with my uh, <laughs> colleague Josh Bow where I yelled into the mic for like twenty minutes. But it I, sound I, like you. I know not at all. I, I I think that that maybe that might be the case where they're hoping to go from a thirty three win team to maybe a thirty nine win team with an outside shot to win maybe a few more based off of what you were talking about, because it's, it seems uh, I was reading some of your articles earlier. It seems, uh, you know, at least what the, the data in terms of these clutch games is really kind of, it's like, it's almost random. Um, (laughs) It's not quite random. I mean, a good team is still going to win in the clutch more than a bad team, but it's going to be less. And, you know that's that's a that's that that's kind of the scenario we're talking about where a team mm-hmm. like you know wins a bunch of close games in a year that doesn't mean they're going to win a bunch of close games the next year and it probably means that they're they're going to be worse i mean like you know obviously the clippers are you know things happen so they're a different team this year but if they had just run it back this year um you like they they were at, like you would think, oh, great, great story. They're a coming team, and then you look at the fundamentals. Like, actually, they're a mid forties team that that happened to to play to run really well in these close games, and so their their record kind of overstates how good they were. Right, um, right. They had some interesting playoff moments, but that's you know that's that's exactly the profile of a team that can you know that they can be tempted to get ahead of themselves. Now, I mean. You sign two top ten. You you acquire two top ten players. That's not getting ahead of yourselves. You're just really good now. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if you're going to do that, then yes, you do it. Like, but uh, that, that 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 that's one of the rare times where the the anytime you can dot dot dot, you have to do it. In this case, that's actually like true. Um, <laughs> well, but. that that actually makes a lot of sense. Let's pivot to to kind of the league at large. So my my favorite thing with with you and at least in terms of our friendship is when you had when you joined the bucks you had to go you know social media silent like you and i exchanged text messages and things like that but you know just due to the nature of your job we weren't really allowed you know we really weren't allowed to talk as freely as we used to it, it and and with you kind of back in involved in like the the you know writing and talking about basketball i'm really wondering what sorts of things are are you looking forward to this season um, I think a lot of people are just kind of looking forward to the unknown of this season. I mean, it's it, it uh, 
at least one finals team it seemed like was penciled in i thought i always i was kind of i mean you, you know me i'm captain contrary and I, I always thought that was overstated you know that oh we can just say it and it, it happened to be the, the the warriors and the Cavs, you know for four for four straight years but it, it wasn't like we we took some twists and turns to get there shall we say i mean i think the the folks in, in, in Houston <laughs> are probably still, you know, wondering how they didn't manage to, to, to get there at least once uh, kind of thing. But, but this year we just, just don't know. It's, it's, it's as open as I can remember it being um, probably since like the first year of the LeBron heat, um, which, you know, is a, a fun year for the Mavs, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but it is, so I think that just there's, there's, and there's also just very few, like almost every team in the league has something interesting about them this year too. I mean, with the, uh, I've been asked this question before, and I think aside from Charlotte, sorry, Charlotte, uh, just about every team in the league has something interesting about them this year. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually tuning in to to rant, you know, just kind of the random games on a Monday, Tuesday night to see what's happening. I and the past couple of years I've let my interest wane at least in the regular season because it just didn't seem like there was as much, you know, there there weren't as much riding uh, on some of the regular season games, but out west it's just going to be it's going to be kind of nuts. Um what about trends are there anything that you are, are are interested in following this year like like both you know in terms of analytics and uh you know just the way the game is played i'm well let me see big trend is going to see be what happens can what continues to happen with uh, like the the whole load management thing um tom haversho had a really interesting article the other day i uh, probably is probably about a week ago about about a company that is actually providing like game insurance for you know, uh, uh, players like missing, you, you, you know, the, you hear these, hear these horror stories of someone, you know, travels from Europe to watch LeBron play. And then he, you know, spend hundreds of dollars on the ticket and thousands of dollars on airfare. And then he doesn't play. Right. And wow. so then there's this, like, this is like this, this company, this like, of course is of, of, of dare I say finance bros who are, uh, trying to monetize this a little bit. And, and, you know, it's, it, it, um, uh, like of course, but it, I, I, that that that's, that strikes me as kind of funny. Wait, this um, is like travel insurance for NBA games? Yeah, basically, yeah. I I, I would I um it uh, Tom wrote it on on NBC.com. I want to say about a week or ten days ago. Um, I'm gonna have to go find this. It's, it's I, I you know I uh, yeah I um I I made a remark about it. Can't wait for the next you know recession to be caused by. <laughs> synthetic CDOs on load management or something. <laughs> so, you know, it's like LeBron misses three games in a row and all of a sudden like uh, like you know bill- like billions of dollars of of uh, of insurance contracts have to be paid off and you know Bear Stearns is out of business or something like that. So <laughs> Um, that would really be something if that ends up being, uh, uh, you know, just, just something that happens for for ticket buyers. I kind of thought about something like that this last year whenever I bought tickets to take my son to see the Mavericks. Uh, but I ended up, you know, ended up working out. But that's just got to be one of those things that there's more and more players decide to sit. You know, it's it's something that somebody's going to have to actually acknowledge because I remember there's a uh, 
there what you the war uh the bucks have a fan ben thompson who uh the the is that's his name right the, the yeah. blogger yeah. strategery he yeah i think yeah. he came all the way to milwaukee to see Giannis, and then Giannis didn't play that night so he, that's he, just kind he, of a wild thing he, he really came all the way to hang out with me and and, and, and Giannis would have just been you know icing on the cake but, uh, so <laughs> what mission was accomplished for uh, uh, so uh, like, like an on floor trend is I'm still, I like you hear, we've heard all this about like the three point revolution and blah, blah, blah. The, I'm wondering what the next defensive reaction is. Like the three pointer is basically, uh, a largely has, has come about. It was largely a reaction to like the, the Thibodeau style strong side overload, bring two guys to the ball. Uh, the reason that defense kind of worked for a number of years was, okay, you don't turn the ball over, you swing, swing. Like you make the extra pass, and the shot you end up with is a power forward taking a 17 footer from the baseline. It's like, eh, okay, it's an open shot. You don't want to give that up, but that can't really beat you. And then, what, like, the, like, wait a minute, why not just have, like, put a guy in there who's like standing in the corner and that shot is worth 50% more, and the math doesn't work. And now this, like, strong side overload defense is kind of dead. Um, and and so that was, so it's kind of, you know, the, 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 the yin and yang, the kind of the, the pendulum swinging back and forth. And like the offense of the, you know, the spread it out, shoot threes, get to the basket, you know, the kind of the quote Mori ball philosophy has been the kind of the dominant like meta strategy of the last, I don't know, five years, six around that. Um, So I'm wondering when the defensive counter to that is going to come in. I don't know if that's all the switching we're seeing or just kind of like um, my sort of personal hobby horse is I think that. I think that NBA teams help too much on non-threatening players going nowhere. And if you can come up with a scheme where, you know, uh, say, you know, the, the Mavs are playing and and Seth Curry is driving and has maybe a, a, a like a shoulder by a guy, but he's at the free throw line, he's going to his left. Okay, he might hit a pull-up jumper there. He might get to the rim and finish. Uh, but that's probably like, or he might just not be able to, to do anything there. And, but you make his job easy if, like the guy, you know, the guy guarding the opposite wing, like digs down to the nail and 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 gets in his eye line and oh, easy pass to the, to the wing, shoot a three. Um, if if instead, you know, you say okay, you know, go ahead, Seth Curry, you're, you're, you're you haven't really beaten your guy, you have a slight advantage, but go ahead, show how good you are there. Um, and I think kind of that. Uh, I'm waiting for a team to kind of to kind of figure out how to operationalize kind of that concept of, of not overhelping to not like not red alert threatening situations. Does that make sense? It does make sense because I think that, that the Dallas is a good example of this. And you might actually see that happen to them a lot this year, because a little bit of what we're talking about is it, it feels like that, some teams react to non-threatening players and, and, you know, there's like a guy I'll just, you know, I hate to throw him under the bus, but like Dorian Finney Smith, who is like a career 32% three point shooter or something like that. Like there's not a lot of re there's not a lot of reason to, to get too upset about him getting an open shot because he's not very good at them. So. Yeah, no, I, but I think it's, it's, it's more like, I think that's like picking, uh, you know that's right around the, the 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 spot where like just letting a guy shoot is probably okay. He shoots thirty two percent overall on an open shot. It's probably you know up in the the mid thirties and and even so, just letting him shoot is 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 not great defense. So it's much more the guy with the ball like mm. dribbling um, 
Oh, know, in like No Man's Land. Yeah. Is, okay. Yeah, like I'm thinking maybe maybe Seth Cruz or maybe like like Jalen Brunson is going like again dribbling to the middle with his offhand. Like, mm-hmm. I, I you know Jalen Brunson has 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 many good qualities, but again, if if uh, if the Mavs offense is going to be you know Jalen Brunson like hard drive right step back sixteen footer, if that's the shot that's going to beat me, go ahead. Um, and whereas I think that so many NBA defenses, they see that guy to get, getting middle a little bit and it's just like must protect the nail. And then, right. <laughs> and then, and then, it, then, you know, you have easy, easy kick out pass and a close out and a swing and, and someone shooting a three or someone's driving to the hole and, and figuring out a way to like, all right, if that guy's going to beat us, he's going to beat us kind of thing. That's got to be really hard to deprogram from like a coaching perspective, just because so much of that is stuff that's drilled into you from when you're from when you're younger and just kind of like old school. I mean, just kind of classic basketball philosophy. I, you don't want to give that up. But I mean, now that you're you're talking about it, like it, it makes some sense. I, I feel like the Mavs did a little bit of that way back in the day whenever they would just let Steve Nash go buck wild in the middle there because um, they, they made the gamble of, OK, well, we're going to let Nash kill us but that means that the other you know uh uh sons aren't going to be able to you know get open dunks and open threes no and you say you say d you say d program but yeah but that's what you know that's what practices that's what training camp is for i've i've been told that for example my uh obviously very different level of basketball but my old college coach has has changed you know one of the classic you know the five-man shell defense drill where you swing the ball around, everyone shuffles to the right position, and like mm-hmm. a coach catches the ball, takes a dribble, everyone sprints to the ball, slaps the ball, gets back to their guy. Um, I, I've heard that 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 he now, uh, it, like the, the guy closest to the ball, instead of going to slap the ball, uh, his his job is to face guard his guy. So it's not like he's not going to help, help to the ball one pass away. He's going to prevent the, the corner to three. And so that's like a minor change to like a very basic drill that that mm-hmm. I think can really you know okay the ball driving at me my like I, guarding a guy in the perimeter my I don't have help responsibility I have no I have no catch and shoot responsibility um, that makes that, sense so that's so that's something that I think that's I'm not gonna say it's easily trainable but I think it's trainable um, and so that's that's what I mean by by coming up with like a an executable scheme that like makes you know, guys who are, or makes non-creators have to create shots for themselves. I see. Okay. That's actually really interesting. That, that'll be, that, that's gotta be something worth watching just because it feels like more and more NBA teams really have guys, you know, they have the best teams seem to have one or two guys who are just absolutely fantastic with the ball at least, you know, and and that's where like a lot of the offenses derive from. So that could make sense in terms of a, a of a, a defensive scheme. That's going to be worth paying attention to. As I think, but I think the best offensive teams have, you know, like everybody is a guy you have to respect with the ball, and that's what makes them difficult. Like it's not, yeah, like you know, Danny Green has at this point in his career, at, at start of his career, if, if Danny Green ever dribbled, you were like, great job. But Danny Green has got to the point where he can you know, he can drive a closeout and make a decision. And, mm-hmm. and so they, so uh, the best teams have, have really are putting five guys on the floor who can do that. Now the, the, the next stage is would be again, like, okay, Danny green drove a closeout. All right. Well, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to hard help at him. We're going to, okay, Danny green, you've, you, you've taken a dribble by your guy and you're at the elbow, do something. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that, and, and, you know, but the, the, there's a middle ground there. Cause obviously you don't want him to just like waltz down the lane and, and dunk. Uh, right. He's an NBA player, but like, you know, but at the same time, Danny green operating at 17 feet is probably a win for, for the, for the defense. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to, that's, that's something I will absolutely look for as the season goes on. Cause I'm, I'm, one of the things that has been a recurring, you know, to, just to bring it back to the Mavs before we, we talk about you a little bit. Um, that's one of the things that, that I know Mavs fans are a little concerned about is while they want Luca to have the ball a lot and making decisions, that is also, it, it, it's part of why he was so inefficient at times last year because he wasn't able to get easy buckets because there was can really... I, can, I so, can I soapbox for a little bit here on this point? Yes. Uh, I, I think, I feel like fans, like... um. Oh, you gotta take like. I don't understand. Like, no, we want a worse player because we don't want to take the we want don't want to quote, take the ball out of someone's hands. Like, well, but like, everyone is better playing with an advantage, and so like Luca having to break a guy down, like in a stance down in front of him. Would you rather that, or would you rather like you know having some kind of someone you know dynamic next to him who who could uh, you know uh, uh, you know not not just the you know, not just, you know, stand there and shoot, but someone who can on his own create a crease in the defense, pass the ball to Luca. And now Luca's mm-hmm. attacking like a like a guy closing out. And like, is that an easier situation for Luca? So, but it's not like he just it's not, you know, it's not a it's not a drooly game where he's standing at the top of a floor surveying for 20 seconds before deciding to do what he's gonna do. I mean, put him in a you have better players around him, you put him in better situations. And and that means it's not necessarily, you know, like the ball's gonna find him plenty. It's not mm-hmm. like, but but having having another guy who could play with the ball isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like the, you know, the, like the the issue with with Smith and Luca wasn't that there was a uh, was a second ball handled on the floor. It's that you know at this point in his career, Smith isn't good yet. So that's like it's it, it's not the it's not it's the talent, not the strategy of that. That's that that, that was the issue. I mean, we wanted, I, I know at our side of Mavs Moneyball, we really wanted a secondary ball handler that would be able to do things with Luka because one of the, the the areas that I just don't understand why Dallas never put him in this position is Luka was never the role man. Um, and that was, was just kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, that, that that's probably something he's just never done in his life. And that's, it's not as, it's not as easy as, as, just you know set screen kind of meander to the basket there's kind of a timing and footwork and, and that kind of has to be something that that is that is it's a learned skill rather than just something that everyone can do yeah i know it just it feels like that's a very maybe i'm just old i just you just cranky you're basket. just a crank oh rolling to the basket you know like it's something that that dwight powell for example is amazing at but like learning the timing of when to cut how to cut if you if you dive at all if you're just gonna you know slip your screen and and, and that sort of thing i'm i'm just really i'm, well, I'm the just flip, a little if I, the, the flip side is anymore. that um, the flip side is dwight powell's had to learn how to do that because he doesn't have much with the ball in his hands That's so true. like you know there are a lot of guys who are good with the ball haven't haven't learned to to be effective rollers because like they're the guy with the ball, not the guy who's rolling. Uh, like, you know, you, you have to find other ways to be effective if you, if you can't do things with the ball in your hands, whereas that's not a skill you probably have practiced a whole ton because, you know, okay. Yeah. Let him, let him No, He should be throwing the pass, not catching it. 
is is the decision that I would say most coaches have made. But I but I think that the better example is kind of uh, you know Eurobasket Slovenian national team. Like I don't think that he and, and Gordon Dragic had any problem playing off of each other. Right. You know, and that was two kind of that was two lead ball handlers, and it worked pretty well. And that that's kind of what that there were a number of 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 us who had hoped that was going to be a reunion in Dallas, but it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Well, I don't want to. I could talk to you about the minutia of the Mavericks forever, but I don't want to keep you, you know, for for uh, you know forever. I'll probably have, try to have you back on if there's any time during the season. But before you get out of here, I want you to talk to uh, talk to us a little bit about what you know about what you're doing for the Athletic and where we can find your work. Well, like like you said, uh, you find it on the Athletic. Um, find me on Twitter at Seth Partnow. Um, I think. Um, it's a little bit of a work in progress, kind of figuring out how it's uh, how it's going to work. It's 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 new for both me and for the athletic, um, in terms of having someone uh, with a with a, a primarily analytics focus on basketball. So figuring out uh, the the challenge for me so far has been kind of what what level to to write, uh, what level of detail to write at. I mean, obviously, when I was writing an explicitly niche site like nylon calculus and it's like you know the nerdier the better and and you know if i wanted to go you know uh five part series on on uh on rebound positioning which you know <laughs> i did um, um you know you i i could do that and i'm not i i don't know if uh i'm not sure if that's that that's that's applicable to a more general audience but maybe it is we're gonna we're gonna figure that out a little bit so uh, essentially, my my role is to both write my own articles and to uh, hopefully be a resource for kind of the broader network of of writers as they kind of uh, uh, run into these sort of questions about you know all right the team says this is happening is that actually happening uh, kind of thing and then another thing I'm hoping to do is really um, I think it's a really fascinating time in sports analytics across sports with. Uh, tracking data now being available really for the first time in football and likely coming online this year in hockey and, and kind of all of the, uh, the advances that are coming out of baseball and, and really some incredible stuff is being done over and over, uh, especially coming out of uh, Barcelona labs and soccer. And so just kind of having some of those conversations about what are some, some concepts, some techniques, some ideas that are, are portable across sports. I actually did a uh, did an Australian rules football podcast uh, earlier this week. It'll come out next week, I believe. Uh, it's not, oh, wow. a, a, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a sport. I, you know, I, I'm as familiar with the sport as anyone who uh, kind of grew up around when we grew up, and you know, ESPN the Ocho is looking for content, uh, and so we, we like. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I watched some a fair my, my fair share of Aussie rules uh, late night uh, uh, growing up on ESPN, but. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm uh, extra knowledgeable at the sport, but at the same time, there are are commonalities to sports that to the various sports that can uh, lead to interesting analysis that can maybe break you out of your box a little bit. Like, oh, let me think about that another way. Um, you know, kind of uh, most, so much of the analysis of basketball is based on baseball analysis, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But baseball is very point to point. So if you if you talk to people who do more flows based sports like you know, soccer and hockey, uh, they're coming at things from a completely different perspective. And, you know, that can maybe provide some insight and in how you want to look at, you know, the transition, the end to end, how one play leads into the next in, in, in basketball. And so just kind of, um, 
staying on top of that and, and kind of keeping those conversations going too is, is something I'm really excited about. Are you doing any audio content in terms of basketball stuff for the athletic right now? Um, yes, maybe we're, I think it's, I, I did, I, I started right. Uh, when everyone was on vacation, I think that, uh, um, I think that Dave Dufour and I are going to be doing a regular, uh, a, a regular show. And, and I'm hoping to also, um, there's a lot of kind of interesting people that I kind of more want to have conversations with that I'm hoping to, uh, to get on. And I, I, I interesting people in terms of, uh, not just like NBA writer types, but like NBA and sport adjacent type, sure. type people who, uh, who I think uh, just have interesting conversations with and, and that kind of, Hey, Hey, come on my podcast is, is kind of a, uh, is an excuse to, to, to kind of get into those discussions. Well, that, I mean, I, that sounds like a lot of fun because I, like, number one, Dave Dufour is somebody I enjoy immensely, mainly because he talks an enormous amount of trash and very much loves basketball. So that's, that's one I recommend everybody check out. But in terms of what you're trying to do broadly, that sounds really interesting because that is a much, it's, it's similar to what I was, what I'm hoping to do with this podcast, because as I've mentioned, I've mentioned before on this, this, this uh, medium, I didn't really see a lot of people in the Dallas media area talking outside of the bubble. There's a lot of of you know just assumptions that that Dallas is is going to be pretty good and as a result I felt that it's fed into you know a little bit of of it's just a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of oh the Mavs are going to be good because a guy who likes the Mavs says the Mavs are going to be good and the, <laughs> and I just think there's a lot of broad I, I I think I'm less it's it's very funny in the in the hardwood paroxysm slack I'm probably like the biggest you know, I'm the biggest Mavs fan in the world I think they're going to be fun and then you know everybody else is kind of down on them but I, I do think that, that, you know, really reaching out and expanding like who you hear from and who you talk to is is really the only way you can start to you know appreciate, you know, both like the sport that you see and then like the, the everything that kind of comes around it. So that sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun for you. As far as, you know, the athletic goes, guys, I'm, I'm just going to make a pitch as a subscriber. I have been a part of of the athletic readership for over a year. Their app is absolutely fantastic uh, in terms of, you know, you can pick out what you want to read. It sends you stuff uh, and it, it, it's in your feed every day. The audio content, I, I, I have a little bit of a beef with because I wish it was available on uh, other platforms, but you can access that through the app. And guys, it, it's just not very expensive. It, it's you, you can find discount codes. You can probably $40, $60 for a year of content. And all of it is just really good. Um, so that, that's, you know, my, my outsider pitch for you guys, you know, giving the athletic a chance and becoming one of their growing, uh, uh, ranks of readership. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you, if you click on one of my articles, subscribe to there, helps me out. Uh, baby needs a new pair of shoes. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and after all you just moved. So, you know, the, well, no, the, well, no, the no, we're still, now we're, empty. We're still, we're still in the middle of it. We're, we're oh, you're going to be moving for the rest of your life. That's the way that yeah, happens when well, you no, small actually, children. The actual, the actual, uh, the actual straw men with a truck are showing up tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm sitting up at, at at my kitchen table, which is which I still need to clear off so they can pick it up and take it somewhere. Oh, man, thank you so much for doing this. Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, guys. If you have an opportunity, uh, you know, go to to look up Mavs uh, Moneyball Podcast and you know give us five stars. This is the. Oh, what is the name of my podcast, guys? Kirk, Your Enthusiasm, episode three. <laughs> thanks so much, Seth, for coming on tonight. You have a good one, all right? Yeah, thanks a lot.